thank you for tuning in to The Right Stuff, a show about readers and writers for readers and writers. I am Rachel A.G. Gilman, a writer, wanderer, and also your humble host. Each week, I will be speaking with a new writer, and then they'll give us a special reading of their work. So let's get started. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Polikoff. I had Stephen last year for a writing class in the Global Liberal Studies program entitled The Journey, The Stranger, The Dream where one of my assignments included writing a research paper on erotic dreaming. His second novel, Come Away, won the Mid-Career Author Award and was published by Zank Books in November 2014. His essay, Music Today, about his disabled daughter's experience in music therapy, won the Fish Short Memoir Prize and was published in Fish Anthology 2012. His first novel, Beautiful Somewhere Else, won the James Jones Award and was published by Carol and Graff in 2004. His fiction and essays have recently appeared in Sunday Stories, The Rumpus, Necessary Fiction, Kindling Quarterly, Provincetown Arts, and many other publications. I am so glad to have you with me today, Stephen. Thank you. How did you get interested in writing? Well, I was one of those annoying child writers. I started writing weird animal stories when I was about seven. Um, and I got a lot of uh, uh, positive attention from that, and that probably doomed me to be a writer. I, I always wanted to write. Um, I, I can't remember a particular moment when I decided that that was going to be what I did. But my father, who he was a doctor, but he was very interested in writing. Um, he wrote, He read stories to me constantly. I think he was a frustrated writer and read weird science fiction stories that scared the bejesus out of me. It was just one of those things I always thought I wanted to be a writer. What's your process like when you're writing? A lot depends upon the project. I have, you know, because I teach and I also have a family, I don't get to write every day, which, you know, some people say that's what you must do if you're going to be a writer. But it isn't really true. I usually start out with an idea, an image, a phrase, sometimes uh, a character, a vague notion of where something is going to go. And I usually start in my journal. I, I still like to do that. I go to the park sometimes or to the garden or somewhere like that and um, and write some stuff. And then, you know, I do that until I start to think, well, this is going too slowly. And then I go back and I work on the computer on it and I write and then I stop and then I write and then I stop and I go back and revise as I'm working. Um, sometimes I have to stop myself from doing that so that I don't, you know, rewrite the same seven sentences over and over again. And uh, usually something starts to emerge and often it's not really what I thought it was going to be. Um, and I try to let it become whatever it's going to be. That's how it, that's how it works for me. I, I'm a, a relentless reviser um, and I do think that all writing is rewriting. To me, in some ways, the most satisfying uh, part of the process is when I'm done with a messy first draft to go back and try to make something uh, wonderful out of it. That's That, to me, is the most satisfying part. Is there one piece of advice you would give anyone interested in writing? Or, and, or, is there a book or an author who changed your perspective on writing? Well, there are many books and authors that change my perspective, and, and I think one of the my pieces of advice would be um, to be a voracious reader. Um, I think that writers really need to read everything and not just the things that are, you know, in their realm of interest, but everything. The, you know, there's always the advice to write what you know, um, but the corollary to that is to know a lot. 
uh, and to not necessarily be stuck with just your own experience, but to see what else is out there and to see the way the world works. And the other piece of advice, I know I was only supposed to give one, but um, I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever received was just to keep going. Um, You're going to be discouraged. You're going to uh, be rejected. Um, You're going to wonder why on earth you're doing it. Um, But if you keep at it, you'll figure it out. Um, And as Winston Churchill said in a very different context, never give in, never give in, never, 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 never. It's the five nevers in that sentence that make it work, I think. So what are you going to read for us today? I'm going to read the first chapter of my novel, Come Away, which came out about a year ago, largely ignored by press and public alike, but I'm still proud of it. It's uh, the first chapter is it's perhaps the most obvious where to place to start. It's a complicated and odd story. Um, the first chapter sets it up a bit. Um, should I describe it a little bit? Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay. Um, the novel's narrated by uh, a man named Paul, um, and it is primarily centered on his wife, uh, Nadja, and their child, Spring. Just before the novel starts, Spring has had a mysterious accident which has terrified Paul and made him worry that not only might he lose Spring, but that malign forces are, uh, are, are working to take her away from him. Nadja called me a Zoloft dropout this morning, and she wasn't smiling. 
That's no good. I need her smile, even the puzzled version, which is mostly what I see these days. When my lost-in-the-forest dreams hang down over me like black clouds and I leap up out of the bed gasping, Nadja's smile still calms me down a little. It does. I haven't told her about the dreams, really. I did tell her that Zoloft makes me feel like I'm constantly coming down from some long, drawn-out acid trip, but she just rolled her eyes. You sound like my father when you say things like that, she yelled at me, and she's not somebody who yells very often. I don't get it, she said, packing up her cameras and equipment to head down to work, because you once told me, ages ago, the drugs were at the top of your list of key life experiences. I think you even used that phrase. So now, when you need a different kind of life experience, when I need you, when spring needs you to have a different kind of life experience, why can't drugs help you now? I winced when she said that name. Not a wince, really, just a little tick I've been noticing lately, a quick, tight pursing of the lips like I'm trying not to speak or, I don't know, scream. It's not the same thing. I held the empty orange Zoloft bottle between two fingers like some disgusting tidbit of garbage I'd picked up off our floor. That was about opening doors. Doors maybe I don't want open anymore, but still, I don't mind that they were open. This is more about closing doors, doors that maybe I'd like to be closed, but not so hard, not so fast, not so completely. She shrugged, never more beautiful than when mildly exasperated with me. Try it again, maybe, for me, for spring? I smiled as if I might actually do that, although it would involve retrieving the long white pills from the pile of brush and debris in the backyard where I tossed them the other night when my hand started shaking or felt like it was shaking and I couldn't sit down and I knew it was over between me and the Zoloft. Nadja glides into our daughter's bedroom, looks down at her, bends over the jungle-themed toddler bed we bought at Ikea right before we moved out of the city. She's stroking the wisps of her hair. I know that touch, that feathery touch. It's one of Nadja's sweetest gestures, but I can't help hissing, you'll wake her up. Though I know she won't. I would. I go in there sometimes just to look at her, just to check her breathing, and it's like she can sense the clumsy scrape of my shoes. Then big gray eyes pop open, and she's staring at me, whispering, Daddy? It's okay, Nadja says, flinging on her black blazer. She's sleeping like a baby. Except babies don't really sleep that well, I point out. They whisper, they cough, they thrash. You never get tired of saying that, do you? She smiles slightly, kisses me. Don't forget to give her the meds. Don't let her climb too high. And if those nurses call again, try not to yell at them. I don't yell. Fine, just don't be so emphatic in telling them to go f*** themselves then. She's about to dash out the door late as usual for her commute down Route 28. I'm standing between her and the door, rooted like a tree, Isn't your father supposed to be showing up today, I ask, just to see if she will do what she always does when his name comes up, which is smack her forehead? She does. He is. Devoted grandpa. Amazing, isn't it? When I was spring's age, I never saw him. He was always running off to Nepal or Ankara. Now we can't shake him. She laughs. She has this musical laugh I always enjoy. Okay, I'll try not to be too late. I know how much you love bonding with my dad. Actually, I have a question for her dad, a first, really, but I decide not to tell her this now as she darts around me and bangs out the door, hops into the battered Subaru, and speeds off down the hill. I drift around the house, raising the blinds, looking out at the faint bluish light opening up above Simpson Mountain. It's 5.30 a.m., a time of day I used to see only from the other end of the night. Not that I was ever such a big all-night party boy, 
But I do remember one or two times coming out of a club or a bar or someone's squalid apartment, and the fact that it was dawn knocked me out. Where did it go? Where did that night go? Now the surprises are different. That small voice calling out in the early light for comfort, for security, things I've never been so good at providing. I peek into her room. Her eyes are still shut tight, her tiny arms thrown back over her head like she was just dropped out of the sky. Her hair covers her face and does not look in the least bit green like I could have sworn it looked the other day, the day I stopped taking the Zoloft. In the kitchen, I pour the dregs of the coffee into the heart mug that Naja gave me last Father's Day. I look out at the mossy wooden bench that sits on the edge of our vast leafy yard, and suddenly I see something, her again, a girl with greenish hair, sickly skin, darting under the bench and toward the thicket of bushes at the edge of the creek. Jesus, I say, and I leap up, spilling coffee all over the counter. Daddy, comes a small voice. My daughter is standing in the doorway, clutching her faded yellow duck, rosebud mouth in a yawn. Did you see something out there? No, sweetie, nothing, nothing. Not the green girl? I shiver, furiously mopping up the coffee with an already filthy dish towel. Uppy! I lift her up. She weighs nothing, nothing, but she's real. I have not imagined her, have not imagined the real weight of her, her life in my hands. I feel the back of her head, the still fresh scar, like a tiny ridge down the back of her fragile skull. I close my eyes to blot out the image of her falling, but I could still see it. When I open them again, she is gazing me, gazing at me, She looks just like Nadja sometimes, has the same bemused smile. Do you... do you want your juice, I manage? Juice, she crows. Then let's go outside. Let's look for the girl. Thank you so much to Stephen for joining us today. If you're interested, you can check out more of Stephen's work at Stephen Polikoff, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-P-O-L-I-C-O-F-F dot net. If you have any questions or if you'd like to be featured as a writer on the show, shoot me an email at rachelg at wnyu.org. Until next time, I'm Rachel A.G. Gilman, and this has been The Right Stuff on wnyu.org. You got your lovers and your friends, and you got that heart inside your chest. And if you're happy with yourself, then all the rest can go.